Welcome to NFP's Insights from the Experts podcast. Each episode showcases timely expertise and perspective from members of the NFP community, delivering information, analysis, and solutions that address our clients' most significant challenges. Hello, and welcome to the Benefits Compliance Podcast. My name is Suzanne Spradley, and I'm here with my colleague, Chase Cannon. We are attorneys with NFP and the Benefits Compliance Department, and we are here on our podcast to bring to you latest developments in items and issues that affect employers and their employee benefit plans. And today, we're going to focus on something that's been in the news quite a bit, and it was the recent announcement by the Biden administration uh, concerning a vaccine mandate for employers. It came out in the form of an executive order called Path Out of the Pandemic. Um, The majority of um, the issues that relate to this are employment law. We will try to focus more on benefits-related issues, um, but we will raise some of the questions that will need to be addressed by employers, and and really, and we will speak to some of the employment issues. Um, The EO, as I'll refer to it in terms of executive order, actually tasks OSHA with drafting what's called an Emergency Temporary Standard, or ETS, and we can expect that to come out in the next few weeks. We can also expect legal challenges to that because it wasn't implemented in the normal course of rulemaking procedures. And we will certainly update you on any challenges and and outcomes related to that. But let's get on with it. Chase, give us some background on the vaccine mandate. Yes. Well, thanks for that background info to get us started here. But this is a vaccine mandate and it requires all employers with 100 or more employees to ensure their workers are vaccinated or tested weekly. So that testing appears to be an alternative to the vaccine, at least for private employers. Uh, The administration also had some provisions for federal workers and federal contractors. The requirement there is an actual vaccine requirement with no apparent testing alternative. Uh, And same for healthcare workers at Medicare and Medicaid participating hospitals and other providers. And then lastly, the announcement requires employers to provide paid time off or PTO for employees to get vaccinated. Okay, so I counted four requirements there with private employers, federal workers, contractors, healthcare workers, and PTO um, aspect for our purposes. We're going to focus on the private employer um, issues and the PTO issue. So first question, these are pretty broad pronouncements with certainly some big consequences for employers. When do you anticipate that we'll get further details on the requirements? Yeah, lots of un- unanswered questions here, um, unfortunately, but OSHA, as you mentioned, that's the agency charged with enforcing labor laws generally. They'll, they'll publish what is called an Emergency Temporary Standard, or ETS. So you're going to hear that acronym. Again, we cannot get away from acronyms in our world. Right. Acronym here, ETS, and that will hopefully provide many more details We don't know when that will come out, but we anticipate that the ETS will be published in the next few weeks. So hopefully by the end of September, we'll have a better map here of what employers need to be doing. Okay, so so focusing on private employers, let's get to some of the questions that we've been hearing from employers. And and spoiler alert, we will have more non-answers than answers because Mm -hmm. we do do lack detail um, and we don't have some of that guidance, but we want to at least tee it up so that you're aware of what the issues are and some of those questions that we do need to uh, get answered. So first, the vaccine mm-hmm. mandate applies to employers with 100 or more employees. Is there Are there details about how we count um, and, and ensure that as, as an employer, I am complying if I know uh, how many employees that I have? 
Yeah, so we don't have details on that, unfortunately. We, we know the way in which the count is performed matters, right? And we've seen this so many of these other accounting rules already in the benefits compliance space. I mentioned the ACA employer mandate up front. That's a 50 employee threshold. And that one includes full-time equivalents. So that one's a little bit different than normal. So you have to count your part-time employees uh, and other uh, non-full-time employee hours and average them out. The COBRA rules, right? That hits at 20 employees. And so it's a different count when you're looking at whether COBRA applies. So we have learned to count differently for different rules and we probably are gonna have to pick up another uh, set of rules here, but we just don't have any details yet, unfortunately. We don't know whether it will include all employees across the company versus by location, uh, whether employers will have to include part-time seasonal or temporary employees, whether there's some type of duration that the employee has to have worked or compensation threshold, right? For some laws, there's a compensation threshold to include employees in the count and whether joint employer status. So we have PEOs or staffing companies out there that may be considered joint employers. That could be an issue. Um, we also don't know for sure if this would include remote workers. So you have to vaccinate remote workers if they're not coming back to the uh, work site. Um, right now, we think it's likely remote workers will not be included, but they may be included in the count, right? Um, so we'll just have to wait on there. If you need an answer now, though, I'd say go with the most cautious approach. Right. Assume you have, assume you have to count everyone, right? Every, all employees everywhere, no matter how long they've been with you, no matter how much they get paid, just assume it's all on the table. And then we'll back up from there once this ETS is published and, and kind of see what it says. And right in your remote worker um, is uh, aspect of that is, is interesting and probably much more relevant today as we see, you know, the employment landscape looking much different. Um, so let's now focus on the testing alternative. And I know there's questions about whether this is truly an alternative, meaning can any employee who doesn't want to be vaccinated um, just get tested instead? Or do they have to have a valid objection, such as a medical reason or a disability or a religious objection? Yeah, it's unclear at this point. It sounds like there will be this testing option for private employers. We, we can assume that because the other part of the announcement for federal workers does not reference a testing option. And so we'll have to kind of see how that plays out. But it does seem explicit that employees of private employers uh, will have this testing option available. But like you point out, it's not clear if anyone can just qualify or claim in a, in a, that need for an alternative testing, or if they need to rely on some type of spelled out objection, like through a disability, an allergic reaction to the vaccine, some medical condition that could be exacerbated by the vaccine, or a religious objection, right? So, but that testing alternative, I think, may help to resolve some of the tension that employers are up against now, though. Think about that idea that employers want a safe and healthy workforce. They may be in favor of this type of vaccine in strong encouragement or mandate, but employees might have strong stances on vaccination uh, being against it. And that could lead to uh, labor shortages potentially if employees were to sort of follow through on, you know, that, that stance or that threat that if they uh, have to get vaccinated, they'd rather quit. So there right. is and it, in there. Yeah, it's certainly a tight uh, labor market right now. So I know that employers are sensitive in that way. So to clarify, when you say a testing option, is, is it clear on whether the employers will have it are mandated to provide that alternative or whether it's an option for them? So in other words, can employers just strictly have a mandate with no testing option? 
Yeah, it appears that the option would be there. It would be something they would have to offer employees. But again, we just don't know until that final uh, sort of ETS is published. And so when we look at the testing regime, um, is it clear on how often it has to occur? Is it once a week, twice a week on who pays for it? Does it require a written description or policy? Do you still have to get tested if you have, like can prove natural um, immunity, for example? Yeah, lots of unanswered questions. It looks like weekly testing would be acceptable. And we're assuming, and this is kind of based on past guidance for other reasonable accommodation, other labor law issues, that the employer would have to pay for the testing um, and potentially the time spent taking the test. So that, that's, again, another employment law question, labor law question, but whether that time that I have to take off to get the vaccine is compensable or not. Right. Uh, I think it would be the more cautious approach to assume that it would be and that the employer would have to pay for it. It seems like a hardship on the employee um, you know, to require them to do something and then force them to pay for it as well. Right. Um, you don't usually see that for other tests. Like if you have a drug related test, if I'm operating heavy machinery and I have to have a test performed to make sure I'm clean before getting in the back of a truck or uh, operating that heavy machinery, I'm not usually expected to pay for that test. Right. So I think the same right. concept would apply here. Okay. Let's do, so let's turn to our world, which is benefits compliance. Is there any chance that the administration of the test would be considered a group health plan? Yeah, and this is an interesting question, right? Because the employers come into that world of, hey, we're, we're going to um, administer a test or we're going to ask you to go somewhere to have a test administered. Is that enough involvement of the employer to establish a group health plan? And, um, you know, all the compliance obligations that come with that, like ERISA and COBRA and all this other um, uh, plan documentation and Form 5500, all those compliance issues. And uh, we've been trying to research this, obviously challenging with no direct guidance, and we hope that the ETS will address this. But administering a test, uh, particularly one based on a, a blood draw or a nose swab, right, that feels like and looks like medical care. It's trying to determine a medical condition, get a result. Uh, but there is a DOL opinion letter from way back in the 90s. I know. You love 90s music, Suzanne. I love 90s music. <laughs> this is from 97, uh, basically saying that pre-employment drug testing and annual drug testing of employees is not a group health plan since it does not provide employees. In this case, it was actually union employees, but uh, the idea is there's not, a, not providing employees with counseling or care in connection with the drug testing or screening. Um, so that screening or testing itself was not enough to be medical benefits or benefits in the event of sickness. Those are sort of the standards for figuring out if it's a group health plan. So we have that. We also have more recently some DOL FAQs saying that mere COVID testing and vaccinations will not be considered significant medical care under an EAP. Uh, that's an employee assistance program. So that uh, and the 97 opinion letter kind of point to the notion that the testing itself would not be a group health plan but more definitive guidance would definitely help solidify that if we can get it. Yeah. And that's a great point because I don't think the ETS coming out of OSHA would have governance over whether it's an employee benefit plan. So we probably will have to wait for something coming out of the DOL. So I don't think right. the ETS itself will answer that question, but hopefully the, D, the DOL will jump on that and um, then provide some kind of guidance for us. But 
let's turn now to PTO and that aspect of it. We deal with a lot of questions related to PTO, paid family, medical leave, COVID-related paid leave from the FSCRA and then state leave. So what are the requirements here under Biden's announcement? Yeah, the ETS will require employers to provide paid leave to employees to become vaccinated or recover from the side effects of becoming vaccinated. No details yet on this really at all, but issues here might include how much paid time off will be allotted, what's the rate of pay employers have to pay their employees while they're out, and whether employers will be required to issue kind of like a new leave policy, right, with certain provisions that could include a notice requirement. There might be a notice requirement. Documentation, how, how does it interact with other leaves? Is this in addition to, you know, we've seen that at the state level, regardless of what you're providing now, regardless of how generous you've been with your leave, this is in addition to whatever you're providing and, and concurrent or non-concurrent with other types of leaves. So lots of unanswered questions, wait and see, but potentially some big administrative hurdles for employers to add to all the other leaves that you just described. Um, at some level, it's just getting a little bit ridiculously wild for employers uh, when right. it comes to leave administration. So this will probably not help on that in that regard. Yeah, I agree. Um, so let's shift back to the vaccine uh, mandate itself. Uh, you know, this it's really interesting when you think about how the, the vaccines are progressing. What counts as being fully vaccinated? Um, how will an employer confirm? There's no national database, obviously, and we have we look on the horizon at potential additional boosters. So, are you then not fully vaccinated when a booster is available? So, um, you know, speak to this issue. Yeah, this is a really hard one too, and there's no direct guidance. The, the CDC, for what it's worth, does have a definition of fully vaccinated. And that is it, you're fully vaccinated two weeks after the second dose of the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine or two weeks after a single dose of the Johnson & Johnson uh, vaccine. But it's unclear whether that'll apply here. And we don't know if they'll reference that or come up with a new standard. And what about those booster shots, right? Will those eventually be required to be considered fully vaccinated? We just don't know right now. Um, as far as vaccination status, proof and confirmation, employers can likely rely on vaccination cards themselves or on an attestation. And we've kind of covered this in past podcasts, uh, but employers, um, that, that's sort of how it works generally. You can rely on the employee's own word, and then you can ask for kind of these vaccine cards, um, uh, third-party proof, like a, a vaccination card from the doctor, the pharmacy, or a public health agency. But as you mentioned, there's no database anywhere on vaccinated individuals. And we also have this rising issue of forged documentation, right? Right. Um, so that could be- I'm sure that would never happen, Chase. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so just all more challenges for employers when it comes to verification. We're assuming that OSHA will require employers to document their efforts to comply with this rule, uh, but we don't really know how burdensome that might be. But just that idea of wherever the employer lands, document it and then figure out a process and apply it consistently to all employees. Um, yeah. yeah, I'll ask you about enforcement in a minute. But um, and, and so the documentation certainly goes towards um, that and mm -hmm. to avoid, um, obviously, enforcement penalties of any sort. But before we get to that, how many or, or what time frame in which will this occur? So when does an employee have to be vaccinated? Give us give me an idea of the time frame we're talking about. 
Yeah, so it's another uh, administrative and, and procedural challenge, right? It's not clear and raises a lot more questions, really. Uh, another part of the announcement here relates uh, relating to federal workers, that provides 75 days. And so we don't know if that same standard of 75 days will apply for private employers. Uh, maybe it will go, you know, leave a deadline out in favor of requiring testing until the date of full vaccination. You can see that if you're not vaccinated, you got to be tested until you're uh, vaccinated. Uh, and when someone no longer meets the definition of fully vaccinated uh, due to the passage of time, when would they need to become fully vaccinated again? So we're speaking about those booster shots, what other standards could be out there? We just don't know. So that's another, I think probably you could kind of lean on that 60 to 75 days uh, that's in the federal part of the announcement, but maybe not. We'll have to wait and see. Okay, I'm going to throw a trifecta of questions at you. Um, the T and ETS cool. stands for temporary. So how long will the ETS last? And, and speak to us now about enforcement. Um, again, why that documentation would be important and then you know expand on legal challenges. Yeah, so starting with the first one, our understanding is that an ETS can generally remain in place for six months. And then after that, it has to be replaced by a permanent OSHA rule. Again, um, we're not employment law specials or OSHA law specials, but that is sort of what our uh, reading and research has said. The ETS itself could also be tied to the National Emergency Proclamation, uh, which we know is still ongoing. So maybe that ends earlier and, and maybe the ETS rule is based on that. Uh, but I think maybe that six months is a good barometer for now and probably the best we can do. On enforcement, we've heard this informal announcement at $14,000 per violation, uh, but that's not in writing yet. We'll have to wait and see. We also don't know if that's really per violation or is it per employee? It could be worse if it's per employee or how, how do you consider a violation? What does that all entail? And whether there's a cap, right? Some of these penalty provisions have a cap on them. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see. As far as legal challenges, uh, potentially could have a big impact, of course, in the courts, and maybe it goes away, but we really just don't know. We've heard of parties lining up to challenge the mandates and the testing alternatives, but we just have no idea how courts will look at this, and it's moving really quickly, right? This is kind of an immediate, let's get this going. Usually, it takes a little longer to work through the courts. Um, we anticipate the ETS in the next few weeks. Uh, but probably you wouldn't have a lawsuit filed until you at least had that ETS uh, and then the, the time frame to work through. Uh, but I think employers need to just strongly consider complying with this law rather than relying on the idea that it might go away. And, and to be clear, also, many employers were already halfway down this path, right? And many employers were strongly encouraging vaccines for employers. Others had already put a vaccine mandate in place or were strongly considering it. And so this gives them maybe a little bit more cover to just go ahead and, and do that. So we talked about uh, vaccine surcharges on the group health plan and all of the challenges, of course, associated with that. Would you say that this vaccine mandate is a way to avoid those challenges if employers were considering that as a way of addressing this? Yes, um, we did an entire webinar on the vaccine surcharges, and we did talk about this a little bit on our last podcast. So if you need more information or curious about that, go back to those. Um, we also have some helpful FAQ guidance because this is a hot topic with these vaccine surcharges. But the bottom line is, is that there are a lot of hoops to jump through if you want to do a vaccine surcharge. And we're, we're generally discouraging it because of those hoops and because of the unclarity. 
So yes, as an alternative, the vaccine mandate here could be a way for employers to avoid that uh, going down that path of a vaccine surcharge. And it allows the employer to sort of pass the buck back to the Biden administration, right? By saying it's required now. And it applies to all employees, um, or at least it appears to apply to all employees. We don't know if there'll be any exceptions there for part-timers or temporary, whatever. But the vaccine surcharge really would only apply to employees that are participating in the group health plan. So that's another maybe advantage of going with, you know, reliance on this mandate here for vaccines for all employees. Um, I guess that gets back a little bit to what an employer's goals might be in encouraging or mandating a vaccine or a vaccine surcharge. If the goal is to control costs of the group health plan, that might have been why the employer was looking at a surcharge, because you just want to target those that are on the group health plan. But this allows, this vaccine mandate allows an employer to kind of say we're doing this for all employees. That helps address those that are enrolled in the group health plan, but also closes the gap of those employees that maybe wouldn't have been pulled in under the surcharge. So yeah, definitely a, 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 a something to consider there with the vaccine mandate versus the vaccine surcharge. Okay, so let's just summarize. We've gone through a, a lot of different angles here. Let's summarize what employers should be doing right now, given the limited information that we have. Yeah, at first, and we you pegged this right up top, employers should be working with outside counsel on this. This is uh, employment law. It uh, has a little bit of the benefits aspect to it, but the primary aspects are employment law. As benefit brokers, NFPs not in a position to advise directly on this, we're just here to provide high level general information and then again, hit some of those compliance on the benefits parts. But outside counsel, like an employment attorney is your best shot to prepare, I'd say uh, adopt or review procedures relating to employee vaccination status. How are you gonna inquire and ask employees about whether they're vaccinated, uh, developing a plan for the testing alternative. How will employees take those tests? Is it an at-home thing? Is it through a third party? Really kind of looking at that aspect of it. Importantly, how will you handle objections um, and and have the the accommodations in place to have the testing performed if you have employees that say they have a disability, a medical condition, or a religious objection? Um, Are you going to accept their word? Are you going to go further, sort of figuring out where you want to land there? And then developing uh, a policy and applying it consistently to all employees. That's really a big thing. We say that a lot in the benefits compliance world, right? Wherever you land on your eligibility for your group health plan, whatever it is, you got to make sure you apply it consistently. And then the biggest part, I think, is just the administrative aspect. Once you've decided all these things, um, how are you going to track it? Who within the organization is going to be in charge of that? Is it an HR benefits team task or someone else? And then where will the vaccine and testing info be stored and uh, tracked? So all of that is really administrative, uh, but very important to think through. So yeah, it's a lot. It's a big menu. (laughs) Definitely a lot and and adds more, as you said, administration um, and administrative tasks to the employers on top of what they already have to do. And so Um, We appreciate you going through all of this, Chase, and kind of hitting on some of the hot button issues and some of the questions that will be raised and questions that need need to be addressed. And as we like to say on this podcast, that's a wrap. That's a wrap.